All right. All right. Once again, are we ready to go? Yes. All right. <laughs> Diversify Van Life presents Nomads at the Intersections podcast. Hello, hello, everybody. Naomi Grevenberg here, host of Nomads at the Intersections podcast. Welcome to our very first episode. It's been an incredible journey getting here, and I'm so excited to share it with all of you. But first, I'd like to introduce you to my friend and co-host, Anais Monique, the other voice you'll be hearing on every episode. Hey, Anais, welcome to our podcast. Hey, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> our podcast. I mean, wow, it sounds strange saying that because it was only a few months ago when you and I were texting back and forth about the idea of having a Diversified Van Life podcast. And here we are today. What a wild year it's been. Yeah, who are you Um, kidding? I can barely find the words. (laughs) Totally. So since this is our very first episode, Anais, I thought a good way to get started would be to take our listeners on the journey that brought us here today to this podcast. But before we jump in, let's touch base. It's been a hell of a year. We're in a pandemic. We've been in quarantine, there's civil unrest, an uprising, a racial reckoning happening, and also it's an election year. So how are you? How have you been taking care of yourself through all of this? (laughs) (laughs) I laugh because I have to remember to do that. I have to remember to take care of myself and what that even looks like. It's funny because like, 2019 it was like I was practicing all of this self-care and really putting a lot of things into habit and this year was just like all of that was tested and you you get so focused on what's happening to the world all the things coming at you happening to you and you wake up and it's like it's been three days since you've combed your hair (laughs) I remember I kept repeating right after George Floyd was murdered. I can't even do laundry without crying. Like it just, it's hard to function sometimes, especially me as an empath. I just feel like I absorb too much. And then I gaslight myself that, oh, you're being overly sensitive. Like (laughs) this is not a thing. You can't absorb energy, but you really can. And it, it weighs me down and makes me feel like I'm just not productive and I get caught up in my feelings. So I have to remind myself to self-care and to just slow down and turn everything off and don't even look at texts because you can get news that way too. So this year has been heavy, but I've grown so much this year. So I'm just trying to make sure that my self-care can keep up with the growth. (laughs) What about you? Well, I really resonate with all of that, to be honest with you. I mean, with everything coming at us from all directions, it's been really intense. Starting from the beginning, you know, when the shit hit the fan and COVID was declared a pandemic. I mean, I was in New Orleans at the time preparing to get back in the van. My partner and I had spent winter hunkered down in an apartment there, spending time with my mom who was visiting from Trinidad. And when everything hit the fan, 
we had to make some really quick decisions because we had already given up our apartment and it was leased out to someone else. So we were in this really interesting place. Like, should we stay? Should we go? Like, what should we do? And eventually we decided, okay, you know what? Let's just get back in the van. That was our original plan. And thankfully, we have some really amazing friends, the Cerbells out in New Mexico, invited us to come stay on their property and hunker down for as long as we needed. So we're so fortunate that we had that ability because a lot of people didn't, especially living van life during a pandemic. I mean, that's like treading a whole new territory for us. But since then, we've been traveling slowly, being really intentional about where we stop and our destinations. And after New Mexico, we went to Big Bear, California and hunkered down in a cabin for a few weeks to get some Wi-Fi and to get some work done. And that's where I was when I found out George Floyd had been murdered. And immediately things started exploding on social media. There was Amplify Melanated Voices, people posting black squares on Instagram and anti-racism reading lists just flying across social media and news articles. And my follower count kept growing. I mean, people were so hyped to follow black people and suddenly things started to really shift for me. I felt like there was this expectation to educate non-Black people on the Black femme experience. And that quickly got really exhausting for me because I was getting a mix of people willing to do the work and those who were just trolling, looking to start shit in violent ways. I was waking up and going to sleep on this. I mean, my screen time skyrocketed. You know, I'd get weekly updates about my screen time that it went up 300%. And I'm sure most people could resonate with that. And by the end of August, to be honest, I was so burnt out. All of this affected me in some profound ways. I was in a constant state of rage and anger. I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. I was very unhealthy. But the problem that I recognized after being consumed by it all for so long was that I wasn't setting boundaries for myself. And I had to take a step back. I mean, my partner forced me to take a step back, which I'm really grateful for. And when I did finally take that step back, I realized that I don't always have to have my fist in the air ready to fight. A crucial part of the resistance is taking care of myself, especially for us Black femmes. Rest is revolutionary. Black joy is revolutionary. And I don't need to be a savior for Black or white people. And lately, I've been more aware of when I need to take a break, when I need to step away from social media, especially from the news. And I've allowed myself to have permission to do that. And it's incredible what that has done for me. Taking time to step away and allow myself to process all the things that's happened this year and figure out where I fit in all of this. Another really important realization is that I don't have to allow others to pull me out of myself. And this is something that happens on social media all the time. I see it happening to so many people. It happens to me all the time. So I just started using the functions that's placed on these platforms for us, like unfollowing, blocking, restricting. That's what those buttons are for, right? So recognizing that I don't have to succumb to those violence and microaggressions, that's been really big for me because, I mean, not every fight is my fight. 
So I've come to the understanding that setting boundaries is a form of self-care and has become a major part of my life right now. Setting those boundaries has become self-care for me. I love that. And I definitely hear what you're saying about (laughs) the way that we use social media and how that's changed. I think I was telling you the other day that it's been so difficult to share anything. I think initially it was just like reshare everything. These are my thoughts, vomiting, (laughs) just everything onto my feed. And Mm -hmm. now it just, I don't even know how to share anymore. And so I'm trying to find that balance, like you said, with boundaries, like maybe you just don't. I've taken breaks from social media before because I just really needed to focus on my own life, but still wanting to put things out there and build that community is really important. So it's just like, I still want to be able to like show up and be a part of the conversation and share my perspective and try and help share messages. But yeah, the boundaries part is, I'm still learning that in this moment of how to even use my voice when it feels so exhausting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I've been pretty exhausted and I've kind of come to the conclusion that I don't always have to share. I share when I feel like there's something that I need to say. And for the most part, there's just so much work to do off of social media, (laughs) you know, which is the place I have taken most of my work. I mean, what we're doing right now, starting this podcast and creating a space for our community to have their voices amplified. And that's so important to me and so valuable for me. And like you said, it's all about community, which I'm really excited to chat more about. So, I mean, let's get into the juicy stuff. Um, (laughs) I mean, you and I talk often, but it's usually about diversified van life and work, which we got to change. But that's a story for another day. I'm really excited for us to get to know each other more. Though we're both nomads, we come from pretty different backgrounds. I do know you've been a nomad for most of your life. You've moved around a lot as a child. You've been a flight attendant. So I'm curious to know, like, what has that been like for you? I think early on, moving around my mom, she was a single mom after she divorced my dad. And she just made it feel fun. I mean, obviously, every year I'd lose my friends from my old school, go to a (laughs) a new school and be the new kid all over again. But it didn't get old. It literally didn't get old because it was always new. And I don't know how she put a little fancy spin on it to where it felt like an adventure for me, but it always felt like an adventure. And even though I was an only child, so I didn't have anyone else to kind of tag team my emotions or play with. So I had to self-soothe a lot. And she helped me out with that by always giving me books. So I was like really obsessed with like ancient Egyptian, anything that was ancient Egyptian, I would consume it. And then the nerdy side of me, cat magazines (laughs) at around like nine. I hear you. That was my jam. (laughs) (laughs) So she made it really fun. And I think that just translated into my adolescence. So when we did move across the country from LA to Atlanta, I mean, I was so ignorant. I mean, California was the world to me. California did everything right. It was extra liberal. We weren't racist. Like that was my vision of California. So moving to Atlanta and to the South, that bubble was burst really quick because it's just I imagine. No, that is not the world. But I mean, this is me as a preteen really just 
waking up to my own blackness that the way I grew up black is not how everyone else grew up black, right? And this thing gets deeper and deeper the more you dig into the history and not even just the history of how everyone um, lives today. So um, just seeing that there were other types of people in the world was another thing, not only across LA, because, you know, you move from South LA into the hills, (laughs) two different types of people. And it was the same in Atlanta. It was a for sure, a culture shock. I never experienced a latent racism the way I had moving there. And that was kind of echoed throughout my life. Any Southern city that I ended up living in thereafter, I just saw things I never thought I would see. This California (laughs) girl (laughs) moving across the country, I just saw things I never thought I would see. And I was in Atlanta when Ferguson happened, and I was kind of at a turning point from there, and travel was introduced into my life in a bigger way at that point, and that's when I decided to become a flight attendant and become even more nomadic than I was previously, just moving from city to city with my mom and then continuing to do that as an adult. So at 27, career change again. (laughs) I think that's Mm -hmm. like the story of my life. I feel like I've lived so many lives because I've been in so many different cities. I was a flight attendant for four years until this pandemic happened. And until the last two years, I was just never in the same city from day to day. Like I would probably stay in one city for two to three days and just didn't really get to evaluate what that meant on my body. Like I wasn't traveling slowly. (laughs) I wasn't traveling with great purpose. I was just moving around and in a sense, sort of using travel as like an escape. You get in an argument with your boo. uh, You know what? There's like a a 10, 17 flight to JFK. I'm going to miss my connection to Germany if I don't leave right now. So (laughs) you'll be mad. No, you know, sometimes it would get like that. You just want to avoid your problems. So whatever vice it is, I was using travel as my vice at that time. And then moving back to California a couple of years ago and moving in with my grandparents the first time I'd been in one place. So the last two years I've been in LA in one place. It's the longest I've lived anywhere in probably like, I don't know, maybe almost a decade. So it's been weird slowing down. And I hear a lot of van lifers say that, like Mm -hmm. it's weird to get in the van and slow down. And I had to get used to it. And I had to like calm my anxiety down that I'm not supposed to be go, 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 go all the time. Like I can travel Mm -hmm. with purpose. I can set my intention. So I don't know, my nomadic journey has kind of been like all over the place. And I feel like I've carried like so many experiences with me. Like right now, I'm on this podcast with you, a podcast that is completely different from where it was last year. And I'm just thinking of all of the experiences that set me up for this place. And that's me just really trying to combat my imposter syndrome. But all of these things weren't for no reason. It wasn't all over the place. Like you were nomadic and that was the right fit for your heart and your spirit. And that's what you needed to do. Because anytime that you were still, you were uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So just trying to find meaning even in the stillness as a nomad. That's what it's been like trying to find the different meanings and not putting judgment on it. For you though, what has that been like? Because I know that you, you came here by yourself, right? The way I received your story is that 
you wanted to change the trajectory of your life, which is like, whoa. <laughs> and you're just, you know what? This country isn't working for me right now. <laughs> yeah, I got places to go. Yeah, so uh, yeah, my nomadic journey is uh, a little bit different. <laughs> it started out right after high school. I was raised on the island of Trinidad in the Caribbean. And there weren't a lot of opportunities for a young girl like me. But I had big dreams, you know, dreams of coming to America and pursuing the American dream. So my last year of high school, I saved every single dollar I got to pay for a visa application so that I can come to America after I graduated. And the day of my graduation, I called the American embassy and I said, hey, I want to come in for an appointment. I want a visa to go to America. And I did it. And a couple months later, I took my first airplane ride to America. And I think that's when my nomad gene was activated, to be honest, if that makes sense. Chasing the American dream overall proved to be a lot more challenging than I thought. I mean, I was a sheltered little girl coming to big city and trying to figure it out. I was all alone. And the first few years, living here. I moved around a lot, just trying to find some place where I could fit. And my visa expired. And I was undocumented for a while as I was fighting to gain legal status. I lived in cities all over the United States before I finally made my way to the South, Louisiana, where I fell in love with the down-home vibe, the culture, the music, the people. I mean, Throughout my entire life, my entire journey since leaving Trinidad, Louisiana was the longest I've spent in one place. I moved to New Orleans and learned why they call it the northernmost city in the Caribbean. And that's where I decided to go to college. I met my partner and I started a career as a coastal biologist. And I love the gritty city, but there was just something else calling me. And the more I continued living that way, the more I realized that the dream I was chasing wasn't really what I wanted, that American dream. And that's when my partner, Dustin, and I decided to dig up an old dream we shared the day we first met of traveling the country in a camper van and visiting all the national parks and being close to nature. For me, that dream of travel had always been so far-fetched, considering where I came from. I grew up poor in a tiny village in a rainforest on the island of Trinidad. Population, maybe 50 people. So for me, coming to America was more than just fulfilling a dream of travel. I wasn't just doing it for me. I was doing it for my brothers, my sisters, my mom. And I felt a pressure to fulfill that stereotypical American success story of like the nice car, the career, the picket fence house. So it put me in a really interesting position because the idea of giving up my career to travel was so far out the box. But there I was standing at the crossroads, ready to take a big leap into my life for the second time. And I feel like I've been doing it ever since. Every decision I make, every step I take is me stepping into my life, not the life someone else is telling me that I got to live. And for me, coming here as a mixed race West Indian woman 
only to realize that America doesn't really see me as a person. I'm seen as a Black immigrant and I'm stamped with that label. My nomadic journey has really given me the perspective and allowed me to focus on how I see myself. I've been able to create space to explore that and to claim my identity, not the identity that someone else is trying to force onto me. So here I am on the road nearly five years now. And to be honest, Anais, it's been a hell of a journey. I hear you on that. I feel like I've become a woman just like leaving this trail of myself <laughs> across, <laughs> across the world, honestly. I, I still have like videos of myself and my phone at different hotels because that was just a way to self-care in a way. Like I just couldn't get my thoughts out fast enough journaling so I would record. It sounds like you were kind of in that space first coming here, just like leaving your trail. Like I'm just making my way. And that's really beautiful. I see how we intersect in a lot of different ways, as different as we are. Mm -hmm. um, the identity thing is definitely something I've also kind of struggled with, not even struggled. It's just, I remember myself saying, even as a young girl, why do we have labels? <laughs> what, what is this about? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but there's a duality to it because I still find such pride in saying that I am black. Mm -hmm. and what that specifically means to be Black. And I love that quote that they have in the 1619 Project where it says, Black people were born on the waters of the Atlantic Ocean. We became mm -hmm. Black people. We were mm -hmm. people from all these different African nations, and we became Black people, starting our own history and sort of culture, coming together from all of these different places. So I really resonate with that part of my identity. And then at the same time, just like wanting to denounce the whole idea of calling anyone white or black or, and then why also are we not including everyone else in this race box mm -hmm. um, that we have? So identity, I see how we intersect there for sure. You are listening to Nomads at the Intersections podcast. But yeah, I love your, I love the story of your journey of you coming here and the reasons why you came here, literally wanting to change your life. As a nomad, I resonate with that so much because I feel like every time I picked up and went somewhere, it was for that reason. And I definitely romanticize living in another country and really starting from scratch in a real way. How did that impact you building a community and your sense of community? Mm, that's a good one. Community is a thing I've been thinking about a lot. And I think that it's the one thing that has made my nomadic journey special. And when I started thinking about this podcast, it really got me reflecting on what community means to me. And it brought me back to the first time I experienced community on the road, because I feel like overall, it's really the first time that I felt a connection to community since leaving my country. And I'll take you on that journey. You know, my first experience with community on the road was at a gathering called Descend on Bend. And 
at this point, it was our first six months on the road. And we hadn't met anyone else living this lifestyle. And to be honest, it was really lonely. I mean, van life, as we know it, was still in its early stages. And yeah, you know, my partner and I, we had each other, but I really was craving a connection beyond that. And at that point, I was going through a lot mentally and emotionally. I had just left my career and the life I knew in New Orleans. I had all these voices in my head, voices of friends and family members telling me that I was making a mistake, that I was ruining my life. And I felt like I was disappointing my family back in my country because I was trying to create something for myself, something just for me. And at this point, it was really getting to me. And I was beginning to question my decision, like, what the hell am I doing with my life? We were somewhere outside of Yellowstone National Park, and it was fall, and the weather was changing, and an imminent snowstorm was approaching, and it was cold. And I'm from the tropics. I don't like cold. So <laughs> I, I, I was even more depressed by the idea of an imminent snowstorm. <laughs> And I mean, we were pathetic. We were in the van, freezing our butts off, wondering what the hell are we doing? And there I was under the sheets wearing everything that I had in the van at this point, scrolling through Instagram. And I saw that there was a van life gathering in Bend, Oregon the next day. I mean, we didn't need someone to push us. We packed up the van so quickly and headed out west that was when I found community on the road at that gathering. That's what changed my journey from being a one-year road trip to full-on van life. Being a part of a community helped me in so many ways. It helped empower me to believe that I could take control of my life. I don't have to follow this conventional way of life that we're told we need to follow to be happy and successful. And that first time I experienced the van life community, it was this high. Like, these are my people. This is where I belong. But if I'm being honest with you, there was an arc. Because the more that I traveled and met other nomads and engaged with community, it started becoming really clear to me that it was an exclusive thing. I looked around and there was literally no one that looked like me. And recognizing that need for representation, that need to be heard, is what led to the creation of Diversified Van Life. I think that there's been a lot of misunderstanding going on at the time I created Diversified Van Life. Because while, yes, our nomadic road travel community is diverse, it has not been inclusive. Diversity is inviting people to the party. Inclusion is asking them to dance. And I like to dance. So that type of inclusivity I'm talking about requires intentionality. I feel like spaces tend to default to being exclusive unless the people within these spaces and these communities are actively working to make it inclusive. And that's how the Van Life community was. And I was pissed because when I spoke up about it, there were people telling me that it wasn't true, that maybe they're just weren't that many black and brown road travelers out there. So I set out to prove them wrong, and I did. And that's when I found you, Anais, <laughs> while I was, scroll I was scrolling through Instagram, and I saw this badass black woman with a skill saw building out her van. 
And I didn't even know what a skill saw was at that time. I had to ask my partner. I was like, what is that she's holding? He's like, oh, that's a skill saw. And I was just like over the moon to find you. Oh. And yeah, and that's the journey. <laughs> that's, how, <laughs> that's how Diversify Van Life got started. That's how I found community on the road. And oh, it's been a ride. Yeah, it's funny what you said about, you know, when you looked around, you didn't see anyone like you. So about three months before I bought my van, I went to a van life gathering in San Diego. And as a reformed former token, it was never a role that I (laughs) welcomed, but I was like constantly being pulled into these spaces where I was the only person. And at that point, when I got to Fiesta Island, I was just like, okay, you know, this could work, you know, at least like these are people that are of the same mind as me in terms of living in a vehicle. Like I didn't know anything about van life at that point, except for what I saw on YouTube. So this was the first time that it was like made real. And unfortunately it was made real to me that I would be one of the few black people in these spaces, in outdoor spaces, which to be quite honest, <laughs> it, uh, it, it took me back to thoughts of, you know, when I moved to Atlanta, the city girl going into a very rural type of environment where you can't see two miles in front of you even because there's just so many trees, like the forest is thick. So I'm thinking horror movie in my mind. (laughs) I don't want to be a token in this type of situation outdoors, campfire, there's no one to hear me scream. So that was like the extreme side and the extreme reaction. But I was just like, okay, I can make this work, I guess. Like, you know, Mm. you know, but just, I didn't, I didn't get that high. I didn't get that high feeling like, oh, these are my people. It wasn't, Mm. it wasn't like that, but I was trying to really just kind of make it work. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And then I kind of had that same, like how you were saying, like, I don't, what am I doing? I can remember vividly. when I got my truck and I was building it out and I'm like, okay, I got a platform in here. This is basically a bed. Let me go take it for some overnights. Like I was that excited. I traveled in my truck throughout its build out. Um, (laughs) And um, I would wake up, you know, on the side of the PCH here in California and just be like, okay, what am I doing? I'm literally waking up in my vehicle. Is this what I wanted my life to be? (laughs) But then in the same sense, I was just like, oh, wait, that's like five seconds of capitalism and the patriarchy and social norms creeping into your body. That's going to be some unlearning. Just recognize it for what it is. And no, what you were doing is you're literally chasing a dream. Yeah, I can relate to that because the first few months on the road, it was really, really hard besides dealing with the uncertainty, like financial uncertainty, because I mean, I quit my career. I had no backup just money from my savings and my partner who was able to parlay his job, which we were so fortunate for. A lot of people don't have that when they're chasing their dreams, especially a dream like being nomadic and remote work wasn't really a big thing as it is now, especially here in 2020 with the pandemic. So dealing with all those uncertainties and hearing the voices of my friends and family member telling me I'm ruining my life and I should wait till retirement and then getting on the road and realizing it's so much deeper than it is because not only am I dealing with detaching from the identities of having this career, 
but I'm trying to figure out my own identity as a woman of color, as a black woman in a predominantly white space, living in the outdoors and just navigating that. It's been an interesting journey. And like you said, there's just been so much growth around it. And community has had such a profound impact on the trajectory of it all. And to see how far the Diversify Van Life community has come in just over a year is a confirmation of the crucial part we're playing within the nomadic community in bridging that gap and creating an inclusive space for the IPOC and other underrepresented groups where we can see ourselves and we can take up space. Mm -hmm. I can remember when I first got my van, I was trying to convince my family like that van life is a thing and you know, I'll be safe. But a lot of people were excited for me, but a, a lot more people were very scared for me and just confused. Someone even told me like, oh, well, I guess that's it for you dating black men. You're not gonna be able to find a black man. <gasps> what? <laughs> I mean, all this stuff was funny. I took it in jest and they were like my friends and my loved ones that were saying, I guess that's how we talk to each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it was just like, well, I guess, guess that's it for you. No more black men. Um, <laughs> it was just like that sentiment was reflected everywhere that this is yep. not a black thing to do um mm -hmm. and I, I couldn't blame her for saying that because I, I hadn't seen it yet myself it wasn't as easy to like find everyone you know or find that representation as it is now and just a year can change that and I can just literally reach out to like all these different kinds of people at all kinds of intersections and that feels really good. Yeah, I think it was around like August, September where it felt like the community portion, like I started to get that high, like, oh man, there's a lot of people that look like me that are doing it. There's a lot of people that don't look like me, but are people of color that I can relate to so much. And they understand like where I'm coming from with certain things or, you know, why I might be nervous about certain aspects of getting on the road and being solo on the road. Yeah, the black femme experience is uniquely different from the white femme experience in a lot of ways. And I feel like that's what I was missing because I used to go to these events and listen to these stories, like these community stories of like nomadicism and van life. And none of those stories reflected my story. And that was a really lonely place and it felt really exclusive. What were you receiving that you had to sort of like combat? Like, what was that like for you kind of existing in these all white spaces and what people thought diversity was in the, in the van life community? Yeah, that's really interesting because I feel like, you know, I, I, I've heard this, you know, over and over that, you know, we are a counterculture community, like all are welcome. We are so diverse. And I think I mentioned this on Woman on the Road, the final episode with Laura, I was sitting at a campfire one night and a woman turned to me and she said, how does it feel to be the face of diversity for the van life community? And I was just so stunned by that. Like, that's a compliment, you know? And when I started speaking up about it, there was just such a big lack of accountability and acknowledgement that this was something happening in the van life community because the van life community is so open and welcoming. And yeah, all of these things are true, but there's a difference between being diverse and being inclusive. And it definitely was not an inclusive space. 
and like I said before, like if we're not actively working to create a safe space for people of color, no matter what community we're in, it's just one of those things that's not going to happen on its own. The backlash that I received was real. And with everything that's happened this year, heightening the importance of community, I mean, I can speak for myself and I'm sure others feel the same, like all those moments of sharing like campfires with people, we haven't really had that this year. And when we do have these like socially distanced encounters, it's almost like I'm high from it. This year, 2020 has impacted how we experience community. There have been a lot of virtual events and folks are finding a lot of new ways to connect. I mean, Diversify Van Life have hosted a series of virtual meetups and our community has really shown up for it. I feel like with everything being said and done, this year has really shifted my definition of community and what I want to experience within it. I mean, between the pandemic, the uprising, this year has brought a lot of these issues to the forefront, both for our society as a whole, as well as smaller niche communities like ours. I received so many apologies this year from people within the community who I received backlash from and who chose to be silent about it when I started speaking up. There are just a lot of things that we are all forced to face now. And I mean, the thing is, like, while there are a lot of big issues facing our society, we are not separate from those issues. Our community is not separate from them. The things we face and the things we do in our community are indicative of the world around us. And ultimately, the way to change society is to enact changes within our immediate circles, within our community, our friends group, our families. That's not always easy because those are the people that we love, our peers. And I love the nomadic community. I love the van life community. I love the diversified van life community. But the changes that we enact within our community, as hard and as uncomfortable as they may be, it radiates outwards. And that's what we're trying to do with diversified van life. And that's my hope with this podcast. So I guess what I'm trying to say is for me, it's really about realigning with my core values, asking myself, how can we do this? Mm-hmm. And this time, like, how can we include everybody? Because to me, community means that we don't have to do this alone. We don't have to carry the burdens of the world alone. We literally don't have to travel alone And I feel like there are just things that we can't do by ourselves. And there are things that I don't want to do by myself. Things that require us collectively to successfully execute, like dismantling white supremacy and voting Trump out of office. Mm. Like overall, I think that we're moving towards inclusivity and openness. It's a rough ride, you know, and there's a lot of hard work still ahead, but To me, it's worth fighting for. And things that are worth fighting for doesn't really come easy, does it? I've been hurt. A lot of people have been hurt. And there are more people that are going to be hurt. But we need to have hope and we need to do it together. And it's important that we continue having these conversations openly within our communities. I feel like when we all prosper, that's when we'll all thrive. Yeah, no, I agree. 2020 is, I think, 
for a lot of people, it woke them up in various different ways. Because in my heart, I don't believe that most people didn't see what was going on in the world in, in terms of the environment, in terms of racial and social injustices, health disparities, all of it, economic gaps. People knew. And I think it's just a matter of, did you build a wall around yourself so you just couldn't see it anymore? Were you just not engaging with people that had to go through those things so that you just didn't see it? So now it's just like, oh, well, I didn't know. Well, what did you do to not know? What things did you put in place to not know? And so I feel like this year has activated a lot of other people that they maybe saw it but didn't know what to do. And now it's just like they're activated. Mm -hmm. I think the Black Lives Matter movement, it obviously isn't new. Ferguson activated a lot of people. And even more people exponentially hit the ground running when George Floyd was murdered. And I think this pandemic has made everyone just really slow down in a lot of ways and really try to figure out like, how do we navigate this world knowing what we know now? It's like, you can't go back. Like once that glass is shattered, there's really no way to repair it. You can't operate the same way. At least mm -hmm. for myself, I can't consciously operate the same way knowing that certain things are literally at critical. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, the rose colored sunglasses are coming off yeah. for most people. They're, there is no going back. You know, yeah, this is the new normal. It's just onward and upward. Part, mm -hmm. That part. Yeah, this is the new normal. I hate that people are trying to rush back to this sense of normalcy, you know. And what I guess is that, as, you know? Yeah, and I guess like as a nomad, like I kind of accept that there is no normal. And I mm -hmm. wish that we could all kind of move towards that way of thinking and just accepting that diversity is normal and diversity mm -hmm. between 1% representation. You need to add a zero to that. <laughs> Agreed. I mean, this life, like the life I've chosen, living nomadically, living van life, it's a very uncomfortable lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's kind of my comfort zone being uncomfortable embracing mm. new things new ideas new perspective and new people and that's where it's at hearing stories that are different from yours experiences that are different from yours understanding that there are many different ways to experience life and many different ways that people are experiencing the world that isn't as privileged as others and mm -hmm. being open to that Mm -hmm. Yeah, being open to that for sure. And on the flip side, I really love that everyone was sharing so much literature surrounding, you know, social issues and injustice. I mean, I'm sure that white people were learning what they were learning, but it also forced me to look at myself and to say, okay, so how does white supremacy really apply to me? How am I practicing what the oppressor is putting on me? How am I bringing it into spaces where there is no one oppressing me, <laughs> you know, how, mm -hmm. yeah. So it, it, it's really forcing me to, to look at myself for sure as well and ask really hard questions. And like, how am I going to translate that as a nomad moving through these spaces? Yeah, this year has really held the mirror up for every single one of us. Mm. You know, whether you're white, you're black, brown, it doesn't matter. Like we're all forced to look into that mirror and figure out how we fit into 
this world of white supremacy and how it's affecting ourselves, each other, our climate, all of it. With that being said, for all our listeners out there, I want to leave y'all with a question. What are your hopes for the road travel community? This is something I want you to meditate on, make a plan for helping guide it in that direction, and let us know your thoughts. Speaking of a new normal, we need a new normal in the White House. Whatever that means to our U.S. listeners, make absolutely sure you exercise your right to vote. If you can, vote early. Yes, and please make a plan. Wear a mask if you're voting in person. We're a community of people, and we should vote like we care for this land and like we care about each other. Thank you for tuning in to Nomads at the Intersections podcast. We are so happy you joined us. We'll return with the full episode in your podcast feed in one month. But we got you covered until then. Connect with us on Instagram at Nomads at the Intersections Pod and at Diversify.VanLife for exclusive extras you won't see anywhere else. Also, check out the show notes for our favorite quotes from this episode, as well as a few journal writing prompts. We even created a playlist for our nomads out there. Y'all, it's a whole vibe. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button and follow our host on socials at Irie to Aurora and at Anais Monique. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Nomads at the Intersections, a Ravel Media production with music by Smart Monkey Music.